Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. It's been a week. If you're a Pittsburgh Penguins fan, we are going to break down a massive news drop Wednesday, some of it involving a general manager search that could change in the next 20 minutes. So we'll get to that quickly, and we'll get to that for a very short amount of time, because a lot of it could be outdated by the time it gets out of our mouths. Secondly, there was a massive piece dropped in The Athletic by friends of the show, Rob Rossi and Josh Yoey, just absolutely exposing the executives of the Pittsburgh Penguins. We have to discuss that. We're not going to give you all of the details for that. Subscribe to The Athletic. Go read their work because they put in a lot of time, used a lot of resources, and got a lot of juice in there. We're going to talk about some of the finer points, but not all of them. Like I said... If you want to do that, pause this, read that article, come back, and we'll have a nice discussion about that. And then let's talk about the Florida Panthers, because with all of this off-ice stuff, we need to talk about something on ice. And I'm sorry, Horwat. congratulations to Casey DeSmith, Nick Bonino, and uh, Drew O'Connor for being on a very good Team USA heading into a quarterfinal tonight in the World Championships, but I, I care more about the Stanley Cup playoffs and the Florida Panthers which there are a lot of parallels between the Panthers and the Penguins, which we'll get to later in the show. But Horwat, let's get to it now. Let's get to it quickly. The Penguins are down to a few candidates for the general manager position. The remaining names, as of what we know, Kyle Dubas, Matthew Darsh, and Steve Greeley. Dubas is the odds-on favorite. I feel like it's a done deal with Dubas. It's just a matter of time. What say you? It might. It just might be. It's a matter of him accepting the job, a statement to be released, all that good stuff. But then also filling out uh, the positions that might fall under him, because we know he was general manager in Toronto. We know he probably wanted more power in Toronto. Meaning, you think he's gonna go for another general manager job anywhere else? No, he's likely getting president here, and we have to fill out. Uh, the names underneath. Heck, they might even give him president slash GM, and now we have to fill out AGMs underneath. Uh, executives, directors of strategy, scouting, business operations. There's a bunch of other things that probably still need to be filled out because 
Um, yeah, the yeah Fenway fired Hextall, Burke, and Pryor, but they also want to build an analytics department, and you at least have to fill president and GM at least in in namesake of roles, and then go from there. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of shape this front office takes. There could be, you know, uh, categories or job titles that we've never heard of. Like we mentioned before, <laughs> Eddie Olchek's involved in this still too. Yeah, it's interesting because when Dave Beeston and Kevin Acklin first spoke to media members about this general manager search, they were very open about, hey, this could be a lot of different things. This is the first time that Fenway Sports Group has ever built a hockey operations department, really. I mean, they came in, they inherited one, and as we'll talk about in that second segment, they were very new to the sport of hockey in general. So this could go a lot of different ways. It could be Kyle Dubas, you are Midas, you're on the throne, you have all the power. Or it could be, hey, Kyle Dubas, president of hockey operations, we need to hire a general manager, an AGM, possibly multiple AGMs. So there could be a lot of moving and shaking that goes into this. I don't think they would wait to hire multiple AGMs to announce Kyle Dubas, whatever he is. But if it is Dubas and a different person as general manager, that's why I could see them waiting. But again, the reason we're getting this first is because it could be announced as early as 9 a.m., which time check right now, 8.41 a.m. On, on Thursday the 25th. Oh, we're up here early doing this. Yeah, it could be 9 a.m., then it could be 2. I don't expect it to go past 3. I'll say that, though, at least because other things need to happen in the hockey world. There is a game tonight. Um, and this list has shrunk, man. We are down to the final few. I mean, mm-hmm. my daily updated sheet has gone from damn near 20 names to I have three with a couple of asterisks. So it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. Do those asterisks happen to be Scott White and Evan Gold? Yeah, just because Elliot Freeman just said, hey, there's been a lot of names tossed out the last few weeks. Here are two more. No other details. Yeah. Not what part of the interview process they were in, if they are still in or not. Uh, mm. Just kind of, here are literally two names that work in NHL front offices. Yeah. He could have just pulled those two. He could have just gone, <laughs> random team, random position. That guy. Just to see which aggregators pick up on 32 Thoughts, which is a lot of them, including us. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, for what it's worth, though, if you have to look into the details, both those gentlemen make sense. They are... Uh, if I'm getting the team correctly, I think uh, Cam Gold was the one in Boston who did a lot of the cap flexibility and a lot of the contract negotiating. Mm. Uh, well, you know what he just did? He's, he managed to re-sign Pasternak and also build a team, help build a team that's regularly one of the best in the NHL. Uh, and Scott White uh, was also in, in the Dallas system, general manager of the Texas Stars, well, if the Penguins are looking to build that AHL team out, there's a good guy to do it. Yeah, uh, for those two, to, to me, it's weird timing to put them into this yes. race. It's weird that he didn't say anything about, yeah, they're, they're interviewed, they're just, they're just names. Names to keep in mind, and that's why I think that, if anything, they might be AGM candidates if they want to go to the Pittsburgh Penguins and be part of the new hockey operations department in Pittsburgh. But other than that, I again... Kyle Dubas is the front runner. He's the odds-on favorite, as you put out a story yesterday on Inside the Penguins. And even more to that effect, Taylor Haas of DK Pittsburgh Sports put out a story yesterday that Dubas even met with Sidney Crosby 
at the Penguins practice facility on Tuesday. So if it wasn't already in your mind that Kyle Dubas is the favorite, meeting with Sidney Crosby, especially considering he's the only one we've heard of that has met with Sidney Crosby, just forwards that possibility even more. Yeah, that's... You don't do that for people you're just interviewing to, you know? That's... That's what's interesting about it. Is that you mm-hmm. don't just meet the captain and tour a facility if that's what it was uh, whenever you're just getting interviewed um, so part of me thinks it's just at the point of waiting for an announcement maybe Dubas has to make his hires underneath maybe he wants to bring in certain people you never know how this goes a lot of people keep throwing around the names Jason Spezza and Brandon Pridham um, Pridham by the way I just don't think is leaving Toronto and Jason Spezza is destined for Ottawa right but still it's Maybe Dubas has to make the hires below him, and we're just kind of waiting on that. Also, Fenway pretty much said they're willing to wait uh, for as long as Dubas needs to make his decision, because he did say during his exit interview that it's going to be a family decision as well. But if he's in Pittsburgh, I mean, the family seems to be A-OK. Yeah, and the Penguins have always been touted as having almost a family-like environment. Uh, Clearly not over the past two years, which we'll get to in segment number two, but just in general over the past 20 seasons, there's been a lot of really cohesiveness in the Pittsburgh Penguins organization. And like I said, up until the past two seasons, which we'll get to. But before we do that, what do you think that discussion was like between Dubas and Crosby? I mean, do you think it was Kyle Dubas saying, hey, Sid, you know, next year... You're still the guy. You're probably still the guy until you retire. But, you know, maybe after next year, what, what do you think about moving to wing uh, for another center that could happen to be on the market next year that I've I've been the general manager of before? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> for those who don't know, Austin Matthews contract is up after next season. And I'm just joking about this. But, hey, stranger things have happened in the NHL. They have. They have. I don't. It helps that. Uh... Matthews and Dubas share an agency company, by the way. But, hey. um, no, I, I don't know if the discussion went like that, but it was kind <laughs> of, you know, as part of Hextall's uh, introduction to FSG, uh, we knew this before the big story came out. He was asked to write out his plan for the, oh. uh, plan for the Penguins. He was asked to literally just put it out. Morehouse showed up, had a PowerPoint presentation ready, Hextall. Unex- was not wow. expecting that question and just did the old it's all up here and they said great write it down show your work yes even my eighth grade math teacher knows to ask me to show my work yeah, please show your work cite your sources uh, mla format the whole nine working uh, bibliography and all of it yes and uh, uh i guess he passed for the moment he wasn't fired he on the spot, so... I guess, we'll get into it. He literally passed because FSG was like, I I don't think that's right, but I guess I'm not going to question it because I haven't been in po- hockey that long, so... Eh. It wasn't really a pass as much as a, you know, uh, I guess. Like, sure, we'll go, we'll go with it and see how it goes, and uh, clearly it did not go well. But no, um, Dubas and Crosby meeting is... It's positive news for, for people that want Kyle Dubas as the general manager and or president of hockey operations for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And, you know, it's nice to know that Sidney Crosby is more involved in this process than he was the last time. Well, fair enough, though. The last time was in the middle of the season. He had more things to worry about. 
but to have Sidney Crosby roped into whatever decision-making is going down is certainly a thing that Fenway Sports Group understands is probably the right direction to go. Uh, and I would assume that if Getty Malkin is read in, I would assume that Crystal Tang is read in, and I would hope that Mike Sullivan is also read into it, and I would, again, assume that as well. Oh, yeah. But uh, we're, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, the absolute bombshell dropped by Josh Yoey and Rob Rossi. We're going to discuss that next on the tip of the iceberg. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. I'm your host, Nick Berlansky, joined as always by Nick Horwat. And, you know, I just have to say this before we get into it. Thank the Lord for great reporting. And that is what Rob Rossi and Josh Yoey of The Athletic shared with all of us on Wednesday. And holy crap. Did they share a lot? I was asked, how long was that article that you read? I said, very, very long, very comprehensive, very long. And also every single word, that's the most enthralling thing I've read in a long time. I can't get through a book. I could read that probably 25 times. Yeah, it's, there are definitely, like, I definitely skipped over a couple of the just informational paragraphs of just, here's who this person is. I definitely skipped over a few paragraphs. I'll admit that because I'm also not great at reading. Uh, but I mean, I caught the big stuff. I caught the big <laughs> important things and reread the big important things a couple times over, mm-hmm. and uh, was shooketh by everything that was uh, stated in that stellar stellar verb there. Yeah, yes. Uh, but yeah, I was shaken up by everything that those two uh, put on paper, and man, it really makes you wonder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if that's a verb or an adjective. Now that I'm thinking about it, but regardless, uh, the article was just scathing, scathing article about Ron Hextall, Chris Pryor, Brian Burke, who actually came away not looking too bad in that entire thing, and David Morehouse, who we'll get to in a minute, who, wow, uh, interesting stuff on David Morehouse there, but that article chronicled the drama of this past season that we all had some hint of, but we really could never have truly known until now, right? This piece sheds light on the rift between the Penguins' front office and the coaches, the rift between the front office and the players, specifically the big three of Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, and Chris Letang, and it fills in a lot of the blanks surrounding the Ron Hestall era in Pittsburgh. There are a lot of questionable decisions that we now kind of see a little bit of why Ron Hextall went in that specific route, at least for some of the players on the ice. I want to, the one thing I really want to talk about is David Morehouse, because I remember when he left the Penguins organization, because remember, he left the organization. He retired as it was. All of us were like, okay, it makes sense. He's probably seen the writing on the walls that FSG is going to want to put in their own guy. And, you know, David Morehouse is a Pittsburgh guy and he's been with the organization for a long time and he, he cares about the organization. And not to say that he doesn't care about the organization after what I read in that article, but man, is he shady. Like that general manager search that originally brought Ron Hextall and Brian Burke to Pittsburgh 
was very shady and it was spearheaded by David Morehouse. I don't know if this is something that was meant to be taken the way that it was, but from what it looked like, the one sentence in there made it seem like David Morehouse tried to mislead the public on the involvement of Mario Lemieux in that search. How about that one? Yeah, and... That's something I would have to have both of those guys on to ask if that's exactly what that was meant to be, but it certainly looks like that's what it says. It's a, yeah, it's a sentence that needs greater detail and more, uh, more, more, it just needs more detail. It needs a little bit of a deeper dive, just that one sentence, but... Yeah, I would love to just dissect that with either Josh or Rob. Yeah, but I think the thing that you know, I, I you can almost understand it if you look into this past season. Whenever, um, after a couple, after a few months, it be, everyone be, kind of began to realize, hey, Mario has not been around. He has not been around as much as once was. He hasn't been around since you know the start of the season. He hasn't been in his box. He came around for that one game, and it was kind of it kind of flew under the radar. It was almost not that big of a deal. And then, you know, the things the pieces started clicking of, oh, well, now we're putting it all together. Maybe it makes sense now. Maybe I would still in- trust... Go ahead. I was like, because maybe Mario wasn't involved with the process that Morehouse is leading everyone to believe, but yeah, Morehouse is gone, but the GM and president that maybe Mario wasn't a part of in the hiring process is still there. We don't know the details. We don't know what Mario's thinking. He hasn't spoken about anything. Uh, yeah. And everyone can still understand that regardless of the direction that the team went in, that this, that, or the other. Mario deserves some time off. Go yeah. Go enjoy that's some golf that, courses. That's kind of the that, basis of it as well as he enjoys, he, he deserves his time off after all this years of full ownership doing the, doing the duties. But now uh, it was still just very... I don't know. It, everyone blew it out of proportion during the season that he wasn't around as often. So it makes sense that maybe there was a catalyst for it now. Yeah, I, I wouldn't personally read into it that much. I would say that I trust what Kevin Acklin said when he talked about, you know, Mario was with this organization since 1984. And up until he sold the team, he he practically didn't take any breaks. And I understand, listen, the, the job of the owner of a sports team is not as intensive as being the star player of the sports team. I get that. But still to be able to take time away from the team, take time away from the city of Pittsburgh, and, and just enjoy retirement a little bit, that I believe a lot more than... I, I understand why you drew that connection. But again... Something that I would love more clarification on. We we didn't get it in that article, but we got plenty of clarification on a lot of other things, including with the general manager search. The options were limited for David Morehouse. One, because it was the middle of the season. A lot of the good candidates were sitting in positions. And two, because he was looking for someone specifically to break up the big three. That was seemingly one of the more important factors of the new general manager and president of hockey operations, their willingness to break up Crosby, Malkin, and Latang, who the latter two only had, as we know, about a year and a half left on their contracts. Or the remainder of the season. I don't However, remember exactly yeah. when. So Yeah. So, and, and I guess Hextall and Burke were fine with that, which is why they got the positions. And luckily, Fenway Sports Group buying the Penguins essentially put an end to that entire yes. thing. Yeah, it's... 
What's very, very interesting, though, is uh, we never found out the exact reason why Jim Rutherford left, right? No, we did not. Wasn't one of the rumors is that he wanted to trade Latang? Suddenly, this is taking like I, I, I'm big braining this. I'm thinking far too yeah, deep. We're you getting can, off. You topic. can draw conclusions yeah. everywhere, but th- what we know here is a lot. Like there was a lot of information spilled out on Wednesday on, on, in written form, but there's a lot of conclusions you can draw based on what you learned on Wednesday. Because now I'm just because my mind immediately went to okay, maybe that's not what Rutherford was trying to do. Uh, hypothetically yeah but maybe someone was trying to push him in that direction and he said i don't need this anyway i've won three cups i can call it a career then we ignore the vancouver thing that's we 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 ignore that that's not us uh yeah like i haven't had time to really discuss this story so my mind really is going in every direction possible here so bear with me but yeah it makes sense that hextall and burke were brought in for that right you brought in the villain immediately. Morehouse said, we need someone who can, or at least said to himself, we need someone who can take away the big three from us. Why not the Philly legend, if you want to call him that? Why not someone from Philadelphia? It would make perfect sense, would it not? Yeah, I, I guess. Here's the thing. You said you brought in the villain yeah, in did. Ron Hextall. I would say Ron Hextall was probably Darth Vader in this scenario for all the Star Wars fans out there. Hextall was probably Vader. Chris Pryor was probably, uh, I don't know, Jar Jar Binks. I don't really like, Chris Pryor was an idiot. Um, And David Morehouse is probably the Emperor in this. Like, that's what I'm getting at. Like, if Hextall is the villain, Morehouse is the puppeteer that's running the villain. Uh, Because I, I just, I didn't see that from from Morehouse specifically and that's why I was like this is interesting because it's a name that yeah everybody knew Hextall was bad at his job and was not doing well in Pittsburgh everybody knew Chris Pryor was basically just ancillary and the same exact person but with less responsibility is Ron Hextall we knew Brian Burke really didn't do anything like even in this article it seems like Brian Burke really didn't do very much like he was the mouthpiece for Hextall, because Hextall obviously doesn't know how to speak to the media correctly. I, that's basically what it was. But what followed the hiring of Hextall and Burke now makes a little bit more sense. Hextall playing hardball the way in which he did with Chris Letang and Evgeny Malkin, right? That makes a little bit more sense now. And of course, both, both Josh and Rob go into detail on those scenarios. C- crazy the way Ron Hextall, as a just an adult male, acts in that scenario. You could, no wonder why there was so much lack of chemistry in that front office, because it caused a rift. It makes more sense as to why he signed Jeff Carter, when he did and how he did. Because he thought Jeff Carter was going to be the second line center, because he thought that Evgeny Malkin was gone. Right? He, he, he was just assuming that, hey, Malkin's contract is going to end, I'm going to let him walk, and then Jeff Carter's going to be the second line center. It makes more sense. Not that it's a good plan, because I don't think it is. It clearly is not. But it's more of a plan that makes more sense than, yeah, we're going to sign this guy as our third line center to a full no-move clause at the age of 38 to $3.75 million. Right? Yeah. And then it also makes sense what the, the lack of cohesion between Hextall and Sullivan. I mean, those two 
from what you can surmise from the words that, that were written yesterday, those two were not big fans of each other. No. There, the, the, there was a couple more sentences that straight up uh, just made me like pause. And one of them was the Jeff Carter was re-signed to be the second-line center. He was signed to be the what? No. At, even yeah. whenever he signed it and was still performing at a pretty well, pretty good level. No. He was signed to be the what? No. And then there was the sentence of someone, one of the inside sources saying... Yeah, Sully and Hex- Hexy don't talk. Oh. Oh, they don't, do they? Well, uh, that doesn't sound good. That doesn't it's not s- a healthy way for an organization to run. No, that doesn't sound like a good process, especially whenever your team is struggling to win games, could use a little more reinforcements. Sullivan seems to know someone who can bring in some reinforcements or... Knows a player who could be a reinforcement since November. Yeah, and then just sits around. What did I say? I said, uh, I said in December we could have used a trade. I think I said before then too, even. But I mean that initial seven-game losing streak. Yeah, that should uh, that should raise some red flags right away. I mean, then there was also the Casper Capitan resigning, and then it gets to the details of the dad's trip. Oh, listen, I get the yeah. players decided that those days, but man, man. The way it was handled was inappropriate, yeah. to say the least, by Ron Hextall. We won't get into that because I don't, I don't want to give away the whole article. So there's clearly a bunch more that we haven't discussed in this article. So go te- give it a read. Uh, Josh Yoey and Rob Rossi of The Athletic. It's, it's the massive one that literally everybody was talking about yesterday and we'll still be talking about today. Uh, but really... That's how a franchise is ruined. Is And it starts at the top. And that's what you learn. It starts at the top. But the lessons that I learned from reading that were that, one, Hextall, Burke, and Pryor were pretty much on an island. right? They were surrounded by FSG on one side, pressuring them from the top, and Sullivan and the players on the other side that are all united around them. Which is a good thing. Because... You see the middle part get just shed out, and now you have whoever comes in, whether it's Kyle Dubas or or Matthew Darsh, you'll build that cohesion, which is going to help this team moving forward. Whether it is to be a contender in the next couple of years, the end of Sidney Crosby's career, or to build for the future, there's cohesion moving forward. And it seems as if, because for a long time, as you mentioned, Fenway Sports Group was painted out to be a villain a lot of this season. Absentee owners. Do they even care? Are they aware of what's going on? Those are questions being asked by a lot of different people throughout the entirety of the season. When in reality, it looks like they inherited a poor hockey operations department, spearheaded by a guy that they were going to get rid of regardless. And then they finally cleaned the house when they had the first opportunity and finally learned of what was going on. Because it's not that they were absentee owners. It's the fact that they were very new to the sport of hockey. And now I'm not going to paint them out to be phenomenal owners. Ask fans of Liverpool, even ask the Boston Red Sox. They're not fans of Fenway Sports Group. <laughs> but I'm going to put the I'm going to put the brakes on calling them poor owners because of what Ron Hextall, Brian Burke, and Chris Pryor, and even David Morehouse did to the Pittsburgh Penguins 
over the past year and a half, two years. And also, so, in fairness, there's always going to be a subset in every sports and every for every team that wants their owners fired. They want or their, their owners out. They want their GMs, their yes. coaches fired. There's always that sub that subset. The thing is, in England, they're a bit more vocal about it. Well, yes, because <laughs> English soccer fans. Sorry to hockey fans. Listen, I know hockey fans are loyal. I know football fans are loyal. Baseball, I guess, is loyal. Just not English vocal. soccer is there. Those fan bases are rabid. Yes, like that. Not just because I watched Ted Lasso, hey. but because I watch the English Premier League, and sometimes I'm like, man, I would love to live in England and go to these games because they look like a bunch of fun. Because the fans are all crazy in every single one of them, whether it's you know a Tuesday in December or it's. The final weeks of the English Premier League or the you know UEFA Champions League, fans are ridiculous. So, um, yes, they're going to be more outspoken, especially at Liverpool, which is a very historic organization and, about Fenway Sports Group. And they're also, it's fun that they're having that much of a tirade over the ownership. And they're not that far removed from a big championship, are they not? Didn't they just win with, with FSG as their owners? That I don't remember. Uh, I think they uh, did. I don't remember I, I watch it. Exactly. I don't I haven't been watching it for very long. Like I started watching I think at the end of last year. I think it was like a couple years season. ago, but like I'm pretty sure they're they've recently won uh the uh they're in the Premier League, the Premier League Cup. I'm pretty sure of it. Mm-hmm. That being said though, it's yeah, th- those fans are nuts. Yeah, but but at the end of the day, where the Pittsburgh Penguins are at right now can really be traced back to a misguided and mistimed general manager search by David Morehouse back in 2021. So it took a little over two years to put this organization in a place where their roster is not good. Their salary cap situation is not good. Their farm system is no better. And they missed the playoffs for the first time in 16 years. But if you can dismantle it in two years, but still not get rid of the pillars of that organization, there's a chance the Pittsburgh Penguins, one, could at least build back to a playoffs team next year, and two, under new tutelage and under a cohesive hockey operations organization can get back to prominence in a couple of seasons. The only question being, can they do it with the aging veterans in Crosby, Malkin, and Latang? That remains to be seen. Yeah. Yeah, it's... That's what uh, these new that's what these new GMs are for. There's a lot of talk of this job not being uh, as attractive as it once used to be. I genuinely think after that article, now that that big piece just came out from the Athletic, um, it's not that it's an unattractive job. It's that the team was kind of really put down by their previous their previous regime and you bring in your own regime now you have a not a blank slate but a pretty open field to work with to Mm. build the team how you like you have the opportunity to close out the careers of three of the best players a in franchise history a couple of them two of them in consideration for the greatest of all time this is an attractive job still. It was... It's a team on the out. Just because the core is aging? 
a lot I feel like a lot of that narrative is pushed by people that aren't aware. Exactly. Right? I mean there it's pushed by people on the outside looking in, I should say. I, I feel like if you ask anybody, because everybody else, everybody inside the NHL, inside these circles, knew what was going on. Right? Yeah. It said Ron Hextall had his had his backers from around the league, teams that were sympathetic to his position. These guys talk. Yeah. Like people are aware of what was going on in Pittsburgh. But the problem is we are just getting a peek into what happened, thanks to, to Josh and Rob. But around the league, people knew what was happening, and people will know the strength of the organization itself and the strength of that position to the league. Because remember, if the Arizona Coyotes are this important to the league, how important do you think the Pittsburgh Penguins, an organization that has had two of the greatest players of all time, is to the league? They don't want the Penguins moving. So you have that security. You have Sidney Crosby at the end of the day, and you have a fan base that, again, you can say what you want about the fact that the, the shutout or sellout streak was ended. You can say what you want about the fact that some of the attendance numbers on Tuesdays. If you win games, there is no place like PPG Paints Arena in the springtime. And people know that. People are aware of that. People know the fan base in Pittsburgh. It's not a bad job to have. In fact, it's probably one of the most attractive jobs in hockey is to be the general manager of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Exactly. One of, not the, don't come for me if you think that's a hot take. <laughs> no, it's definitely up there. It's just, people say, why would you know, a person like Kyle Dubas, who was at the, still kind of the at the beginning of his career in a front office, want to go to a team who's on the downswing? Because they might not be on the downswing. You don't know. He can build the team however he likes now. His only job is to keep the core in place. And guess what? That's done. That's done. Mm -hmm. That job is taken care of. Now he can build the team however he likes. It's If it's a team on the downswing, I don't think this giant of a piece about the bad, the bad seeds would have come out. Truly. If it was a team on the downswing, we would have just been having the discussions of, yeah, this team is on its way out. Here's yeah. here are the issues. We know the issues that we had this past season, but I think we also had this discussion all season of how much is Mike Sullivan to blame for this. He's not, you know, what was one of the counter arguments? He's getting no help from management. We found out he's not getting anything from management. Yeah. So yeah. suddenly, it, it, like I said, I haven't had time to really discuss and actually fully think about this story. All of a sudden, Mike Sullivan's looked at in a better light a little bit. Oh, 100%. All of a Mike Sullivan comes out of that smelling like a hero. That hot seat just turned down a little bit. Is he yeah. still on seat, one? Perhaps. Seat warmer is off. Yeah. I like. Could the, could it still return next year? Absolutely. Let's. Oh, yeah. You still don't have... Listen, he, he has been struggling to get results in the postseason since before Hextall and Burke. So he is yeah. not absolved from anything. But he certainly looks better than he did before. Yeah, because he... Because he truly wasn't getting any help from the guys upstairs. Yeah. So, yeah, and any new GM can easily take... The, the, this team doesn't seem to be on a downswing anymore. It just had some rotten apples in the wrong places. Yeah, there's fixes that need to be made, and we will discuss that as they happen. Again, the general manager's search could be over by the time that I actually get through editing this, which I would be very upset about, but, you know, it is what it is. Something tells me it's going to happen when I'm out of pocket and not able to record anything, but uh, that's just how it goes uh, with when we try to record. But we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, let's talk a little bit about the Florida Panthers and their ability to get to the Stanley Cup Finals and why 
it kind of has a lot of parallels to the Pittsburgh Penguins. We'll talk about that after the break. Welcome back. Tip of the Iceberg podcast. I can't speak. Like at the end of that last segment, oh my goodness, was horrendous. I apologize to everybody for that. But no, regardless, let's talk a little bit about the Florida Panthers. I almost said the Carolina Panthers. That's how bad it was. Ah, I'm um, thinking about football, and then that just set me on a different route. Uh, but the Florida Panthers, they pushed to the Stanley Cup final for the first time since 1996. You know what else happened in 1996, Horwat? I was born. That's the first time that the Florida Panthers have been in the Stanley Cup Finals that I've been on the planet for, right? It's crazy. Now, they do it by sweeping the Carolina Hurricanes. Before we talk about the Panthers, death, taxes, and the Carolina Hurricanes imploding in the Eastern Conference Finals. They've made the Eastern Conference Finals three times since 2009. They are o. And 12 in Eastern Conference final games during that span. Swept by the Panthers this year. Swept by the Bruins in 2019. And first connection here, swept by the Pittsburgh Penguins in 2009. Eesh. Eesh. The Canes are a great team, but dang. You got to at least win one game in the Eastern Conference Finals at some point, right? Some, yeah, because it, 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 it sucks that that is a span that goes back over 10 years. That's... That's tough. That's hard. And, you know, sure, within those years, there were a couple seasons where they definitely didn't have a chance. There were pretty bad teams in there, but... Yeah. I mean, these past few seasons, I mean, you could have... I had them winning the Cup this year. I also totally forgot that they were winless in the Eastern Conference Finals. So, uh, next season, I'll have to reconsider my decision-making, I guess. Mm-hmm. and predict a sweep for them there. But it's there's still a team that, that there's still a good team. We know what Eric Tolsky built there. We've yes. we, we've done plenty of searching into what Eric Tolsky has built there. Yes, certainly. And obviously, you remember that they don't have Max Pacioretty. They don't have Andrei Svechnikov this year. Uh but the excuses are exactly what they are. They're excuses. You didn't win a single game in the Eastern Conference Finals to a team that, you know, listen, we'll talk about their run here in a second. But you lost to an eight seed. You got swept by an eight seed. You were the only team in this postseason to get swept by that eight seed. And it was in the biggest of moments for you in the Eastern Conference Finals. But what a run it's been for the Florida Panthers. I mean, you get into the playoffs on the last week of the season. On the back of Alex freaking Lyon going 6-0 and to end the season. Your third string goaltender. Then... You beat the best regular season team in the history of the NHL in the Boston Bruins in seven games. You absolutely throttle the Toronto Maple Leafs in five games in the second round. A Leafs team that was literally, well, at least their fan base, was literally calling to play you over the Bruins, and you embarrassed them. This is a Leafs team that had the monkey off the back. They won their first playoff series since 2004. They had all the momentum. They had great talent and you just absolutely throttled them and then you sweep a really good Canes team Bruins Maple Leafs Carolina Hurricanes that is a ridiculous gauntlet to run through and the 
Florida Panthers kind of made it look easy. Oh, yeah, they did. Sorry, I, to, I might be a little slow on responding. I have every noise possible happening outside my window. But it's <laughs> it's a hell of a run. Also, you're welcome, Florida. You, I'm sure that's where you were getting at with this. I'm tired of seeing it all over Twitter. <laughs> um, that if the Penguins just didn't fumble the bag at the end of the season, uh, yeah. the Florida Panthers wouldn't even be here. Part of me likes to think happy thoughts and go, oh, the Penguins could have been going on this phenomenal run. Probably not, but um, still. It's, For that uh, to happen, Tristan Jari would have had to perform like Sergei Bobrovsky is performing right now, and I don't believe that would have happened. No, no, but just... I, that's just me trying to think happy thoughts. No, we would have gotten absolutely yeah. swiped in the first round. Well, here's the thing, and this in a week's time might be more of a prevalent statement, but the Florida Panthers also gave back to the Pittsburgh Penguins in a sense, correct? Because in the way in which they disintegrated the Toronto Maple Leafs, oh, that's caused right. them to fire their general manager, who could be the next general manager of the Pittsburgh Penguins. So it's a give and a take. Florida Panthers, you get a Stanley Cup Finals run. Pittsburgh Penguins, you get a new GM. I don't know if it's quite even. I would have preferred the former to the latter, but hey, it's all working out in a process in which that is the first of many. Actually, the second, because remember, I already mentioned one. The second of many connections between what happened last night and the Pittsburgh Penguins. This is, like we said, the first time since 1996 that the Panthers have made it to the Stanley Cup Final. Who did they beat in the Eastern Conference Finals in seven games in 1996? Oh, yeah. Mario Lemieux, Yarmir Yager, Kenny Reggett. And the Pittsburgh Penguins. There's that connection. That was a, yeah, and that was a hell of a team for Florida too. That that come. That was the rat. That was the rat team, was it not? Yes, it was the rat trick. The rat trick, exactly. And then obviously we mentioned the Penguins had a major hand in starting this run. If they hadn't fumbled the bag to the Blackhawks, Panthers, not likely. They do miss the playoffs. So we don't have to continue to talk about that one because it still hurts my soul that they lost that freaking game. And then. There's Matthew Kachuk. And obviously, everybody is looking at Matthew Kachuk now, rightfully so, as this guy is maybe second best player in the National Hockey League now. Second best player in the entire world. They're still not going to put him over Connor McDavid, rightfully so. We have this conversation every year with the player that's leading the best team or the best story, Nathan McKinnon last year was the second best player in the National Hockey League because he was leading the Colorado Avalanche to a Stanley Cup final. I'm sure the conversation will emerge about Jack Eichel if the Vegas Golden Knights put away the Dallas Stars in four games. But also, Mark Stone's in that conversation. Jonathan Marchessault's had a phenomenal series. This year, it's Matthew Kachuk. And to me, this performance feels... Familiar. It seems very familiar. 79 games played for Kachuk in the regular season, 40 goals, 109 points. In the playoffs, 16 games played, 9 goals, 21 points. Against Carolina themselves, 4 games, 4 goals, 5 points, 3 game-winning goals. Two of them in overtime, the last one to send his team to the Stanley Cup Final with 3 seconds on the clock to put the Panthers on in front. Just that was, I got the tweet notifications of 
George Stahl takes a penalty with 54 seconds to play, and then got the next notification. Kachuk wins it, or scores with four to go. I went, what? It just happened. I wasn't watching. I should have been. But I just got those notifications in succession and went, yeah, that's the thing. That just happened. Mm-hmm. He's a madman. He might be the greatest player of all time. Uh, and just when, and just when you thought Sergei Bobrovsky is going to run away with the Conn Smythe, by the way, even if they Ooh. lose, there's that conversation. Matthew Kachuk is right there with four game-winning goals throughout the playoffs, 21 points in 16 games, and going, I'm going to make it a real interesting argument. Here's the thing about that trophy. If you perform better in the last two series than you did in the first two series, you get a lot more consideration than somebody that's been steady the entire way through. Yeah. Those voters forget a lot about the first round and second round once it comes time to announce that champion. And three game-winning goals in four games for Matthew Kachuk in the Eastern Conference Finals, that makes him the front runner. So gross. Yeah, until you look at the number. All you need to do is take a clean look at Sergei Bobrovsky's stat line. 11-2 oh, with a 9.35 and a 2.21. That's gross. He's ridiculous. Like, he has been absolutely ridiculous. It's 1A, 1B, Kachuk and, yeah. and Bobrovsky at this point. But the point I'm getting at here is Kachuk feels very familiar. This is really his welcome to the top tier moment, right? Because before everybody's like, yeah, Matthew Kachuk's pretty good. He's a star in this league. He might be second tier. Now everybody's saying, you know what? He is grade A superstar talent. He plays with an edge. He's scoring in the biggest moments. He's trying to lead his team to their first Stanley Cup championship victory ever. That part's the only part that's a little bit off. Because he really reminds me of 2009 of Getty Malk. Ooh. Plays with a chip on his shoulder. Blew the crap out of the Carolina Hurricanes. Basically single-handedly put the team on his back in a sweep where, yes, everybody played well. But he was just at a different level. And now Malkin was 22 back then. Kachuk's 25. But these players are vastly similar. People finally recognizing, hey, this guy could be one of the best stars in the league, not just a very good superstar. That ascension of Malkin in 2009, to me, is very familiar to Matthew Kachuk's ascension now. I mentioned Kachuk's stats. 16 games played, 9 goals, 21 points. Back in the playoffs in 2009, through the Eastern Conference Finals, so take out the Detroit Red Wings series in the final. 17 games played for Evgeny Malkin, 12 goals, and 28 points. So he had seven more points and three more goals, but still a similar, similar discussion when it comes to how they were doing. I mean, honestly, take away Malkin scoring a hat trick in one of those games against Carolina, and they're pretty much even. Against Carolina, Malkin had six goals and nine points. Against Carolina, Kachuk had four goals and five points. (laughs) And three game-winning goals. It's not... Apples to apples, but it's definitely not apples to oranges. I think these two, it just, it made me think of, wow, when is the last time that a star was born by blowing out the Carolina Hurricanes in the Eastern Conference Finals? And it was Evgeny Malkin. Yeah. And the way that he plays with an edge, 
can lose his mind sometimes, can Matthew Kachuk. So too is Evgeny Malkin. I think Matthew Kachuk in 20 or in 16 games has like 24 penalty minutes. I, I forgot to look it up for Evgeny Malkin, but it certainly tracks with the way that Evgeny Malkin plays, especially in the playoffs. He takes penalties. He plays physical. He gets under opponent's skins. It is, to me, a very similar ascension from Matthew Kachuk to Evgeny Malkin. And it's been a, a hell of a run to watch. It's been a lot of fun. And honestly, it's all of the limelight that Matthew Kachuk's getting is deservedly so. But it just... It, I just wanted to say that it takes me back to watching Evgeny Malkin in 2009. Did you want that series alone on Malkin penalty minutes or? Yeah, uh, no, the playoffs. In the playoffs and the whole postseason, up, including up until? Up until the Eastern Conference Finals ended, if you could do that. Uh, probably if I did some math, but I could tell you in total. Oh my God, he had 51 penalty minutes in total. That's that playoffs. Oh my God, he's a madman. <laughs> <laughs> he had, he in a playoff season, he had as many penalty minutes as most people have in an 82-game year. <laughs> he had 50, That's ridiculous. He, 51? He had 51 penalty minutes in the full 24-game run to the 2009 Stanley Cup. For what it is worth, six of those minutes came in the Eastern Conference Final. Hey, he buttoned it down. Uh, but I, also, you're blowing the team out. I mean, after Game 2, did the Carolina Hurricanes have anything to fight for in 2009? No. Oh, they had no hope. 29 of them came in this in the Stanley Cup Final. Uh, I Lord. now I'm trying to remember what happened. <laughs> Lord, I'm there had to be like a, t a, a a game misconduct in there somewhere. We'll have to go do our research after that. But again, with the Florida Panthers, what they've been doing, led by Matthew Chuck and Sergei Bobrovsky, absolutely incredible. And I think a lot of people are looking at the Stanley Cup final and like, ah, you know, it is what it is. The Florida Panthers really want to watch. Yes. Watch the Florida Panthers. If it's Florida and Vegas, that's going to be an entertaining series. And Mark Stone versus Matthew Kachuk mm. doesn't get much better than that. No, it doesn't. That's It's going to be fun, and especially if we get two sweeps here, they're going to come in well-rested because regardless of how um, that series ends, the, Cups, the Stanley Cup Final starts on a certain day, so... There's going to be a couple of well-rested teams. I, This has been so much fun to watch. Also, I was looking through the Golden Knights stats and want to know exactly how they got here. They didn't have a single person on their roster uh, reach a point per game. They played with five goalies in the regular season. Yep. How did they get here? Stellar coaching and a well-built or a well-built roster. And also, Aiden Hill, I know he hasn't played as many games as Sergei Bobrovsky, but he's a 6-1 and one with a 940, 1.96. Yeah, Aiden Hill, this series and and the series against Edmonton really just came out of nowhere. I mean, Jackie Ace has had nine points in six games against the Oilers. Yeah, he's putting up a 6-10-16 in 14 games in the post. So, you know, it's... Uh... This is fun. This is a ton of fun. Yeah, yeah. You got to love the Stanley Cup playoffs. I'm excited for the Stanley Cup finals, but that's going to do it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg. We will see you guys next time. <laughs>